Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is tapping into a video game to tell the stories of an ugly yet joyful part of America's sports history to a new generation. It's Friday, February 23rd. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. We have a fantastic interview coming up with Bob Kendrick of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. First, let's hit some news. A Utah legislator has introduced a bill that would provide $900 million towards building a state-owned baseball stadium on state-owned land as part of a sweeping new public-private partnership between Utah and the Larry Miller Company. That conglomerate invests in and manages real estate and owns the Salt Lake Bees, which are the Angels AAA affiliate. The $900 million sum is expected to cover half the cost of the stadium and would be paid for by an increase in the state's hotel tax. All that's missing from this vision is something rather crucial, a baseball team. MLB will expand, but when that actually happens is anyone's guess. This has been a long-time mission of Commissioner Rob Manfred, but he might not see it happen during his tenure. Manfred announced that his current term, which ends in 2029, will be his last. Jeff Passan of ESPN reported that MLB is unlikely to add new teams until the 2030s because the process of assessing bids from around North America, building stadiums, and everything else that has to happen takes time, and there's plenty else on MLB's agenda. The league needs the A's and Rays to find new homes, several new teams are seeking new venues or major renovations, the local broadcasting situation remains a giant question mark, and the collective bargaining agreement with the Players Association expires in 2026. So whether or not Utah passes this legislation, Salt Lake City could be waiting a long time. EA Sports is making an NIL offer with no real precedent. The gaming giant is preparing to release its college football game, which it is bringing back after an 11-year break from the series. As part of that, they are offering up to 85 players on all 134 FBS teams the same deal. They can allow EA Sports to use their name, image, and likeness for $600 and a copy of the game, which is valued at $70. At maximum, that is 11,390 players collecting a total of $6.8 million. Players could begin opting in as of Thursday. The mega deal is a full circle moment for EA. It stopped producing the game in part due to a lawsuit brought by players in 2013 who said their likenesses were used without their consent. The game didn't use their names, but it did mimic their jersey numbers, heights, weights, appearances, home states, and bios. The players are not compensated, and EA eventually reached a settlement with them. Now, 11 years later, players can get 600 bucks and a video game. In addition to the players, EA College Football will have some familiar voices. The game will include commentary from Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreet, Chris Fowler, Jesse Palmer, Kevin Connors, David Pollock, and Desmond Howard. The Negro Leagues Baseball Museum was founded in 1990 as the centerpiece of an effort to keep the memory of the Negro Leagues alive. It's an important piece of sports history and American history, and it stands apart from other leagues. First, for the obvious reason that the Negro Leagues only existed because the major leagues did not allow dark-skinned players, but also because, for a long time, all that we had of the Negro Leagues were stories. While players like Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb had every at-bat recorded, the record-keeping was more scattershot for the Negro Leagues but in that absence developed some of the best oral history we have anywhere in sports. That history has been maintained and popularized by figures like Buck O'Neill, who made it his life's mission to tell the stories of the Negro Leagues and keep its memory alive, until he passed away in 2006. That mantle has been picked up by my next guest, Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Under his leadership, the Negro Leagues are going to places they have never been, including into a video game, MLB The Show. I'm Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and we're thrilled to partner with MLB The Show 
to take you on a journey back to the Negro Leagues and introduce you to some of the baddest brothers and sisters to ever play this game. I know I really enjoyed our conversation. I think you will too. And that is coming up next. All right. Very excited to be joined now by Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Welcome, Bob. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor. Yeah, well, honor's all mine. So last year, MLB The Show introduced a way to play Negro Leagues characters through its storyline series. Now we'll continue with new players added this year. You serve as a narrator for that series. <laughs> Tell me about that col collaboration and the value you see in it around the overall project of educating people about the Negro Leagues. Well, first and foremost, who knew that a video game partnership would be one of the I think one of the most meaningful, significant things this museum has ever done, because what it has achieved is it has opened the Negro Leagues up to millions of young people and young adults who, honestly, I'm not sure if they would have ever thought about the Negro Leagues until we brought it to them in a mode and medium in which they were accustomed to engaging with. Now, there had been a number of people who would hit me on social media from time to time and would query, when is the Negro Leagues going to be in a video game? And this was something that I'd always dreamed could maybe one day happen. But honestly, I wasn't sure that would happen until the folks over at San Diego Studios reached out to me, I guess now about three years ago, with the possibility. They wanted to temper and manage my expectations about whether or not this was going to happen, but about the possibilities that maybe we could include the Negro Leagues in the video game MLB The Show. And honestly, the more stories that I started to share with them, the more interested they became in this possibility. And we ended up speeding the timeline up for this. The game was supposed to be released for the first time this year, and they moved it up to 23 because they were so thrilled about the content that we had created. You know, we had a full-fledged production crew come out to Kansas City. They turned the camera on and turned me loose and just asked me to tell stories about these players, and that's exactly what we did. And the response has been overwhelmingly positive by the gaming community, man. I couldn't be more prouder of what we've done. And of course, we have a five-year partnership with Sony PlayStation to include the Negro Leagues. And this has been literally game-changing for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Yeah. And talk to me about that game-changing part, because it's an interesting entry point, right? I mean, one one that you might not have imagined, you know, five, 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it doesn't, you know, necessarily capture the full history, but it's hard to people bring bring people into that, that full history, the full context of everything going on um, through any medium, video game included. Uh, so yeah, how do you see this this entry point that people now have Maybe they just, they like the video game and they discover this new mode. They want to try it out. However they get there. Oh, what do you do once you have all these people who are interested in these stories? Well, we're seeing really an almost immediate impact on virtually every facet of museum operations. So yes, this is a partnership between the museum and, and Sony PlayStation to do the game, there's some royalty considerations. There's a charitable component that goes along with the customized game. And so it's going to generate revenue for the museum in that capacity. But man, we've seen our individual levels of donation go up 
significantly since this game has been released. We have had scores upon scores of folks who have visited the museum because they saw the museum in the video game. And, and they wanted to meet the guy who was telling stories in the video game. And, and so this has been, it, it has been almost surreal in terms of the tremendous success. I always thought that folks would love these players from the Negro Leagues once they got to know them. I mean, what's not to love about Satchel Page? I mean, if anyone should be in a video game, Satchel Page should be in a video game. His feats were video game-esque. You know, the way he played the game, the swagger in which he played the game. So yeah, no, you had to believe that folks would fall in love with these players of the Negro Leagues. What I was pleasantly surprised by is how they've embraced the stories. And so essentially in that storyline mode, they the team over at San Diego Studios were brilliant in how they conceived this. And then they came up with basically many documentaries embedded in the game. You put, you put a fabulous soundtrack to it. And now all of a sudden you're capturing the imagination of these young people. So it's not overwhelming in terms of being so lengthy that they tune out of it is just enough that seemingly whets their appetite. And now what I'm finding is the gamers want more. They want more stories and we got more stories for them. You know, so it has been, it's just been amazingly well received. And again, what it is indicative of is the fact that I think for a museum in general, particularly a history museum, and maybe even more so for a cultural institution like the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, you have to establish and create relevancy. It can't just be history for history's sake. Our kids are too savvy for that. They're quick to say that was then, this is now. And, and so I have to go to them. I can't wait for them to come to me. I've got to go to them. And like I said, I have to go to them in the modes and mediums in which they're accustomed to engaging with. And that video game platform, which clearly was larger than I ever even conceived. I think I was a little naive when it came to just how large that platform really is. And so I've learned a lot myself. And the funniest thing throughout this entire endeavor was them trying to teach me how to play the game. (laughs) (laughs) And that didn't go over too well. Uh, The controller has too many buttons. The hand finger dexterity that these young people have is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you on the too many buttons thing. Yeah, I I can do like four. (laughs) That's that's about what my brain's up for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Negro Leagues have such an interesting place in baseball history because it's, you know, everything's stats these days. And and I'm fine with that. You know, you can you can get so much information. It's kind of fun to dive into. And of course, the Negro Leagues stats were added to the MLB history ledger officially a few years ago. But, you know, it's it's not all those records were super well kept at the time. Anyway, so much of it is in those stories. And so many of those stories are more unique. It's not just like, you know, this guy went to college, he got drafted, he's on the team now. Or, you know, this guy, you know, he's great in high school and he went, went to driveline, now he's a baseball player. Um, with, with Negro Leagues, there's a lot more, you know, you've got these individual stories of, of perseverance and of people making it work. And, you know, they weren't always getting paid all that well. And so they had to, you know, they might have had a job on the side. You get these these life stories uh, that are um, they, that feel more human than just like okay, this guy hit forty homers, you know, he hits yeah. two sixty. Okay, yeah. great, he's he's in the yeah. lineup. So yeah, yeah, no. yeah. and the incredible feats and mm-hmm. the and the incredible feats that sometimes seems almost mythical 
you know, because again, we like the quantitative nature of statistics, but so much of the Negro Leagues has been passed down from generation to generation by the players. The oral history aspect of it is what has driven, and I don't want these stories to ever die. No, no, no. I tell people all the time, Owen, for Major League Baseball, Babe Ruth was Paul Bunyan. For Negro Leagues Baseball, Josh Gibson is our John Henry. And, and, and that's okay. We want them to be larger than life. We want you to think about the, the the majestic home runs that this man was hitting where they didn't look at sections of the ballpark. They looked at landmarks. They said, you see that tree over there? Josh hit one over there. You see that barn over there? Josh hit one over there. I don't want those stories to die. Yeah, I'm excited about the stats. And we know baseball is this beautiful game of comparisons and statistics. But you can never reduce the Negro Leagues to just stats. You know, you're right. It's that that human nature of these athletes' ability to rise above the social adversity that they were confronted with to play the game that they love. And so whether it's the speed of Cool Papa Bell, the power of Josh Gibson, the flamboyancy and uh, speed of Satchel Paige's pitches, you know, the kids are loving it. You know, when I get to the museum and there are people saying, oh, my son is going to his ball game and he's naming his pitches the way Satchel named his pitches. He had the long time, the short time, the jump ball, the trouble ball, the radio ball, the wobbly ball, the dipsy do. That is what you, that's when you know that you've done this right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and there's this misnomer that kids don't care about history. They do. We found an engaging way where they have demonstrated that they do indeed care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of stats, um, last year, African-American players accounted for 6.2% of MLB players on opening day. That's the lowest percentage since tracking began in 1991. What needs to happen for that trend to start getting reversed? Well, number one, I think it's happening. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think the programs that are now being implemented by Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball's Players Association in tandem is starting to slowly but surely pay dividends. What you're seeing now is more kids, more black kids playing this game than ever before. And well, I won't say ever before, but certainly more so than in years past. They're playing again. And baseball is creating opportunities for them to be seen. And with those opportunities, we're starting to get more and more kids drafted. They're moving into the minor league system. And you can start to project, you know, baseball is the most inexact science of them all. No matter how high you get drafted, no matter how low you get drafted, it doesn't mean you're going to necessarily get to the show. But you can start to project when, as you see the minor leagues more populated with these kids, that that pendulum is eventually going to shift the other way. And I love the fact that both Major League Baseball and the Players Association have also embraced the museum as part of the solution. You see, we've readily identified what the problem is. We know that there's a socioeconomic component to why these kids aren't playing our game, went from a blue collar game to now essentially a country club sport when it became a almost pay to play kind of game. So we know we've got to bridge that economic gap. We also have to do some other things to help increase the cool factor that is associated with our sport that seemingly is automatically attached to basketball and football. And and so 
we are working out those kinds of issues as well. But the history plays an important role because you have to see yourself to believe that you can do it. And so when those kids walk into our museum, they see people who look just like them, who played this game as well as anyone ever played this game. But not only did they play the game, man, they own teams. And they were managers and coaches, traveling secretaries, team physicians. They fulfilled every role that could be filled in the business of baseball. So that history plays an incredible role in helping people identify with the possibilities of playing a game that maybe they didn't know where their legacies were attached to. You know, we've been playing this game for a long time. And on, we've played this game as well as anybody ever played this game. And so I think when you see all these things happen, I'm on my way to Vero Beach, Florida this weekend for the Andre Dawson Classic. And uh, it's an HBCU showcase. So they're creating more avenues for the scouts to see these players. And now the scouts got to be bold enough to draft them and bring them into those organizations. And again, I think these programs are starting to pay dividend. And the one thing that we are not as a society is patient. Yeah, we absolutely. No, we're not patient. <laughs> and we're going to have to be patient because we're going to have to stay the course. But I do think the things that are being implemented they are paying dividends and will continue to pay dividends. And we'll see, we'll see that pendulum shoot the other way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I think we, we saw that at least in the 22 draft, you know, things mm -hmm. are, are trending in the right direction. Um, you were at the presentation of the plan for the proposed new Kansas City Royals yes. ballpark. How does that vision fit in with your overall work? Well, I'm excited. And I always preface the fact of my excitement it is somewhat self-serving because I know this new downtown ballpark is going to benefit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It's literally going to be a stone's throw from where the new museum is going to be when we build the new museum and even where the current museum is now. But by the time that ballpark is built, hopefully in 2028, we'll have a brand new Negro Leagues Baseball Museum that's going to be even closer to where the proposed stadium site is. So again, from a self-serving standpoint, this is going to create a pipeline for Royal fans and the fans who are visiting to see the their team play the Royals to experience the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But our museum has never been about self-servance. It has always been about the greater good. And this new downtown ballpark is going to be transformative in a number of ways for the east side of Kansas City, where the museum operates, a side of town that has oftentimes been undervalued and overlooked. And the economic boost that is going to be created through this project is going to be, as I mentioned, transformative. You know, so yes, it's going to benefit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, but it's going to have greater benefit as well. And I love the notion of creating a neighborhood stadium. That is the way stadiums used to be. Of course, with this neighborhood stadium, there will be a complete economic development component that goes with it that will create jobs, shops, restaurants. Uh, these things are going to be great. And, and so, you know, sometimes people are reluctant to change. They shouldn't be. Change is inevitable, and, and this is going to be good. I, you know, Kansas City is on a tremendous high right now. There is a lot of synergy and energy in this city. The new ballpark is just going to help push that 
for decades to come. And so what's not to be excited about that? And we're thrilled to be able to play a small part in, in helping that. And, you know, we're working diligently to try and get folks out to vote April 2nd for the passage of the sales tax that would help benefit and, and create this project uh, with the new downtown ballpark. All right. Before we let you go, um, I was going to ask you for a Buck O'Neill story. I'll definitely take a Buck story. But if you want to give me a satchel of uh, Josh Gibson, Cool Papa Bell, just give me one story before we're out of here. Well, and it's, it's one of the stories that's in the video game. And I think this is what encapsulates and catches the imagination of the young people, particularly as it relates to the swagger of Satchel. And so in the video game, I tell a story of Satchel Page and his Satchel Page All-Stars they're playing an all-white semi-pro team. And Buck O'Neill is playing first base for Satchel and his All-Stars. And as Buck would say, the first kid from the semi-pro team, all-white semi-pro team, gets into the batter's box. And he digs in. And Satchel throws him a fastball. And he said the kid swung as hard as he could on. He topped it, dribbled it down the third base line. Well, it stays fair. He beats it out and gets an infield hit. Well, Buck says about that time, one of the kids from the team, from the opposing team, steps out on top of the dugout steps. And he yells out, let's beat him. He ain't nothing but an overrated darkie. Well, Satchel, who had a nickname for everybody, his nickname famously for Buck was Nancy. Uh-huh. all-time favorite story of how he got that nickname, Nancy. And anyway, Satchel looks over at first base. He says, Nancy, bring him in. And so Buck is at first base on, he turns, he motions for the outfield to take a couple of steps in. Satchel looks over at first. He said, Nancy, bring him all the way in. <laughs> Honest to God's truth, there were seven guys kneeling around the mound. Wow. Satchel Page and the catcher, and Satchel strikes out the side on nine straight pitches. Wow. He looks in at the opposition dugout, and he says, overrated darky, hey. And of course, <laughs> says, then the kid that said this, man, he was embarrassed. He was crying. All the guys came out to apologize to Satchel and his teammates. But as Buck O'Neill would say, if he had one game to win, and any choice of any pitcher from any era, it would be the legendary Leroy Satchel Page. He says you might beat him when he was out there messing around, but when he was locked and loaded, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's too good. Bob Kendrick, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Anytime. That's it for today. Drop us a rating or review wherever you like to listen to podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend. We will see you on Monday.